0: All right, good morning, everybody, it's good to see you. My name is Chris Payne, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are going into a series for the next three weeks called At The Movies. So uh, a lot of us have some nostalgia walking in the building today maybe because if you're new with us, we actually met in a movie theater uh, called Edwards Cinema over there off 59 right next to Lakewood Church. We met there for about seven to eight years pulling carts, pushing carts, and we would walk in and just the smell of popcorn. So there's good memories and really hard memories of trying to get the kids out of rated R movies as they start. We're like, no, God, no. And so uh, as we're trying to get uh, with the times, uh, as they would kick us out at 1130. And so uh, the fun part about doing a series like this is It's nostalgic for us because we were in a movie theater as a church for a long time, but also we just love movies. Um, The impact of movies, the artistry, the culture of movies that we have because we are a people that love story. We all love story and we believe the greatest story on earth is the story of Jesus and the gospel. And so to be able to watch a movie, even with the paradigm, the idea and the worldview of the gospel in mind, I think makes story go to a whole nother level. And today we're going to talk about the story of Lion King. Now, if you answered the question that we had, which one's better, the animated or the live action? I'm just, The answer's the animated one, by the way. Uh, just helping you out for reasons I'm going to get to in a second. But in case... You have been maybe in a coma for the past 30 years and you don't know anything about Lion King. Let me give you a quick synopsis. Lion King synopsis. A young lion prince is cast out of his pride by his cruel uncle who claims he killed his father. While the uncle rules with an iron paw, the prince grows up beyond the savannah. Living by philosophy, no worries for the rest of your days. But when his past comes to haunt him, the young prince must decide his fate. Will he remain an outcast or face his demons and become what he needs to be? We wanted to pick this movie not just because it's low-hanging fruit, easy to see the gospel within the Lion King, because we're gonna take a different turn today. I was talking to Earl as we were watching the trailer. He's like, dude, I'll go chill bumps." So I think one of the last times Earl preached, he even did uh, did an example on this. There's so many great things within this movie. There was a little bit of um, controversy, though, as they created the live-action one, depending on what you like. And I love the internet because it just took over. And we had the live-action ones on the left, And some of the biggest complaints of this newest live action one that just came out this summer was that there was no facial expression with the animals. And the artists at Disney, they wanted to be so realistic. So one of the worst scenes, though, is where Mufasa dies, spoiler alert, Simba's dad dies, and... Simba's crying, but because it just looks like a a lion, and lions don't have a lot of facial expression, in case you've never been around one. um, He's just like crying, oh, my dad's dead. It's just like the same face. And so, of course, go to the internet. So artists like took over and said, you could have done this at least. And the Disney artists come back and said, well, we just wanted it real because lions talk. Okay, so it was just like this big controversy back and forth, but I love what some of the people animated to make it look still like the first. Go to the next one. There's a few slides here that I appreciated to give a little bit more character. It would have gone a long way with the movie. Next slide. Of course, yeah, here's an uh, older uh, boy band haircut, Simba. <laughs> uh, the next one, Pumba. a little bit more fan edit there. And then, of course, we have... Rafiki, thank you very much. Help me out here. And lastly, you have Scar, which I appreciate what they did to Scar. What's interesting is the live action, I don't know if you know, but when they first made um, this film, uh, back in the animated one, they actually went to East Africa and, and studied lines because they wanted to get things right. They wanted to make sure. And, and, it, and it's what's interesting, of course, I, I'm nerdy like this and I love film, so I like to watch this guy on YouTube that's very popular, and he does these things called film theories. Anybody watch the film theory guy? No, you are, you are actually busy doing productive things. And so... Um, In this guy's film theories, he actually takes films and he has his own theory on them. And it's interesting because he pulls from what he studied in the artistry of making this film and how they wanted to get even the fur on the tufts right in the animated series, much less transferring that into live action. And he discovered something really fascinating. In this movie, you have Muf- Mufasa, and even just saying his name, right, stirs the heart. Mufasa, say it again everything the light touches, right? He has that voice, and it's so powerful. But if you were really wanting to make a live action film with real lions, he discovered that lionesses actually are more attracted to lions with dark hair and lions that have the fur. On their knees, that with dark hair actually produce more testosterone, which live longer, produce better babies. And so, in fact, if we were to go really, really live action and real, sorry to kill all of your dreams, Earl, Scar would be the real king. As I watched the movie and, and saw some of that, I thought, okay, wait, wait, what would this look like if really in a pride? That one would be the stronger one, and Mufasa with his flowing blonde and red locks is not actually the more attractive, stronger lion. What does that mean? Maybe read it and watch it a little bit different if we're going to go live and try to go as realistic as possible, because here's what would come about is that scar would have eventually maybe ended up the king anyway. And instead of doing whatever it took to usurp the throne and plot out and hurry into his destiny and success, he would have naturally, in the physical world, been the natural leader within this movie. It gives it a little bit different spin that I want to take on today because I want to talk about... The fact that we do every day in our life, and the thing that we do constantly throughout our life, is position ourselves. In a posture of hurry to get to the next place, to the next thing, usurping all progress and the slow walk of trusting God to position us in his best. And we do everything we can, even to the point of killing people or their dreams or their things, in order to get on the throne in our lives at our point of succession and success. All of us have a tendency to do this. And in our fast-paced culture, we want to be best. We want to be next. We want to go to another level. That's why we read the books and we learn the life hacks. And we got to do things bigger and faster and better. Because I've got to hurry to get to where I want to be. And I watch Lion King and I don't see Mufasa and go, that's me. I don't see Simba and go, that's me. I go... Yeah, I can see scar. That's kind of me. I'm trying to do whatever it takes to get somewhere where I might naturally end up if I just go at the pace of God. Instead, my own pace. It's interesting. I'm reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. who's a pastor in Portland. Great writer and pastor. And he's quoting... This man named Dallas Willard, who was a great theologian, great author, passed away in 2013. But he was sitting down with one of his guys he was mentoring, and he told him this. The greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day is hurry. Hurry. Hurry is a symptom of exaggerated self-importance and trying to do too much. It steals from us the precious moments that we have at hand in our life. As Dallas Willard was sitting and mentoring somebody, he looked across and he told them, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life because it's the biggest enemy to your spiritual life. Now, if if We're really getting truthful and we're thinking, and I asked you, what is the greatest enemy to your spiritual life? You would probably, like me initially, think something like, I mean, the biggest enemy is this partisan politics, income inequality, racial injustice, that's really the biggest problem going on. The sexualization of everything has to be the biggest problem, and I don't think hurry would even make our list. And yet this man, in his wisdom, said this is the problem I see in Christianity, in people's life. Not only him, but Carl Jung, who's a Swiss psychiatrist, who's popularized archetypes like uh, introvert, extrovert, some of these types of things where we get some language around personality. Carl Jung said this, hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil.'" And and we find, if we really think about it, having this hurry-paced life and needing to get to the top, no matter what the cost, and go, 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 is really the issue underneath so many other issues that we struggle with every day. Issues like chronic anger, just you see our outrage culture, low-grade anxiety, the rise of suicide, mental illness, violence, materialism digital distraction, loneliness, exhaustion, and burnout, just to name a few. If you really think about the root, it's this constant need to achieve something on my own and hurry through life. It's interesting. I read a study from U.S. Travel Association's And they projected and they saw that time off in 2017, Americans are some of the worst at taking time off. In fact, 52% of Americans didn't even use all of their vacation days in 2017. We're overworked, we're overstimulated, we're just going, going, going. We don't know how to slow down and pace our life and it is killing us mentally, emotionally, physically, and of course, spiritually, the biggest enemy that sabotages your spiritual life is hurry. Cardiologist Meyer Friedman and Ray Rosenman coined this term that psychiatrists nowadays call hurry sickness. After many of their patients suffered from hurrying in this sense of time urgency. Here's a definition, a couple of definitions they gave. Hurry sickness is a continuous struggle to accomplish more things and participate in more events in less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined from other people. Another definition, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. In, in 1967, as I was researching and looking at our history of urgency, it's really interesting. Experts on time management delivered a report to the U.S. Senate in 1967. And listen to what they said. These experts believe with the speed of technology, satellites, and robotics, it would present a big problem for the American workplace in the years to come. Here's the problem, they said. People would have too much free time. And here was their conclusion. In 1967, they concluded, and here's what they said. By 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, or retiring at 38. (laughs) you fired, right? I mean, gosh. The effect of hurry in our life. I mean, you can't talk to anybody. How's it going? Man, it's just busy. It's crazy, you know? I, I, I've tried to change my vocabulary with that as much as possible because people are like, how's it going? Man, it's just, it's crazy. I get this and this and this. And then I wonder why people don't invite me to things. <laughs> well, you're just too crazy. You talk to anybody and it, and it, it traverses, I mean, age, gender, ethnicity. Everyone I talk to, busy, busy. I got another thing to go. I got another attend. I got to do this. I got to do this. And it absolutely sabotages your health, your life, much less, and absolutely your spiritual life. Most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. So here's what I found, some experts to help you. Do you suffer from hurry sickness? Let me warn you, this will hurt because it hurt me. And let me, before I go into this, there's a difference between being busy and, and hurrying. So Jesus, if you looked at his life, he did so many things, but he was busy. And you say, okay, he would qualify as busy. And busy is, it's intentional, it's meaningful things, and that's good hurry is doing way too much or trying to do too much and it's like the top is just spinning and going crazy and that's hurry sickness here's some examples number one moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster (laughs) you might be a redneck counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the lane that has the least or is going the fastest. No laughs. Man, I was at Chick-fil-A last night, which I got stock in Chick-fil-A. My son was like, hey, I want to go get that Popeye's chicken sandwich. I'm like, let's go. And we saw the line. We said, let's go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so we ended up at Chick-fil-A and they have those two lines, right? at least the one I have. So they have two separate lines, people outside freezing, taking your, you know, thing. and I'm not kidding you. You do not want to follow me, whether it's the checkout line at the grocery store or Chick-fil-A. Don't get behind me because you will wait. I always pick the wrong line. Anybody else that way? I mean, it's like I'm there and I swear 10 cars went by and had their order. And I'm like, what? And then I get my order. She's like, yeah, you're that could I go behind that car and it's just like, oh my gosh. And I found myself like frustrated and I had nothing else to do. I'm just mad. Anybody, anybody else real? Another sign you suffer from hurry sickness, accidentally putting your clothes on inside out or backwards. When I was young, that was a fashion statement. It's called crisscross. They'll make you jump. But now... Sleeping in your daytime clothes to save money in the morning. I mean, save time, not money, time. That too. Look at. You. All right, bro. I see you. Here's the last one. Do you suffer from hurry sickness? You know you suffer if multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Why did I come in this room? What was I doing? My mom never knew my name growing up. Never knew my name. She called me by every other kid and then finally got to my name. She could not remember my name. You, get over here. Multitasking so much. There's emotional and spiritual implications for us. Dr. Michael Zigarelli actually has this survey you can go, you can Google Dr. Michael Zigarelli, and he has surveys on assessment and your spiritual uh, health and these kind of things. It's really interesting. He's surveyed over 20,000 Christians aged 15 to 88 across 139 countries. And here's his final assessment. Here's what he says. This is about Christians. He says this, It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload and the cycle begins again. This is what he's noticing in our culture. Zigarelli says, who believes busyness and distraction may be a global pandemic, suggested breaking the cycle by doing this reordering our thinking, which we're gonna talk about, including the way we think about who God is and how he wants us to live our lives. There's an actual way God has fashioned us to live, and it might not be this frenetic pace that we're in. It's interesting, the implications. In case you're not convicted enough yet, in the book Sacred Rhythms, by Ruth Haley Barton, and she has retreats and amazing things about transformation and finding rhythms in your life. She gives 10 signs that you're moving too fast through life. Number one, this is real fun. It's like masochism, it just hurts. Irritability, quick to be grouchy or irritable. Hypersensitivity and defensiveness, You just call this marriage, right? I've been married 19 years. What'd you say, right? I mean, just you know, you're moving too fast if these things are occurring. Three, restlessness try to calm down or sleep, and you just can't. Like, you have to have something on, something going. You just are restless. Compulsive overworking, errand after errand, task after task, to do list. Emotional numbness, number five. This is like experiencing only a narrow range of emotion, like anger and anxiety, but you don't have empathy because empathy takes time to develop for people. See, because love does not sprint, love walks. You have to pace your life in order to experience empathy. (laughs) Number six, escapist behavior, binge-watching, shopping work whatever your cultural narcotic of choices disconnecting from our identity and calling this is where you forget who you are and who you are not you're going so fast and so frantic you lose yourself your convictions your values because you're just going from one place To the next, you're a human human doing, not a human being. Not able to attend to human needs. Basic things like sleep, exercise. It's interesting, I was reading that in America, before Edison and the invention of the light bulb, the average American slept 11 hours at night. Number nine, hoarding energy. You can't do something because you have to save energy for the next thing. You know this. You know that one person that you, they're like a leech and they just zap your energy. You're just like, what happened? Right? That shopping does that for me. Like, I don't know why I turn into a 10-year-old when my wife makes me go shopping. I don't want to. Right? I just <laughs> lose energy. <laughs> And I think I I, I can't meet with that person or I can't do that because I need energy for this thing. Hoarding energy. Number 10, slippage in our spiritual practices because to nurture and turn our attention to God and others takes work and hurry sickness absolutely sabotages absolutely sabotages your spiritual life, which your spiritual life and disciplines consists of, giving and receiving love. And it sabotages your capacity to be able to do that because you're just going from one place to the next. Are you encouraged yet? How about this? Ronald Rollheiser in 1999 wrote a great book called The Holy Longing and here's an excerpt from it, great book. We For every kind of reason, good and bad are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. And more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives, written 1999. This is a problem. This is, when I watch the Lion King now, I see Scar hurrying into his destiny. And I think, how often do I do that? I'll do anything to get to that next level. This starts from the garden. You look at Genesis chapter 2. Open your Bible, flip it up, turn the light on, whatever you want to do. Genesis 2 starts from the beginning as God creates the heaven and the earth in Genesis 1, and then he kind of like microscopes into that creation in Genesis chapter 2. says this, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So imagine this garden God has created. You've got all trees everywhere and then you've got in the midst a tree of life, whatever that looks like. A tree not of death, not a tree of good and a tree of evil, but a tree of knowledge of good and evil what happens? Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, a lot of the times we think about this garden, even at the beginning, God's creating man, telling him to multiply, to flourish. He's walking with him in the garden. He creates him, and then on the seventh day, rests with him and is just with man on the seventh day, called a Sabbath. The pace of God walking at the pace of love, which never sprints but walks is a beautiful thing we see and we need to frame our mind to how God operates and how he intended man to be. And what happens at the beginning? He puts him in this garden and he says, here's a tree here of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, not a good tree and a bad tree. See, because God is a good father. It's not like you or me, like I would create my house. I would say, Addison, Cadence, Jackson, here's our home. Here is life and then here's a guillotine. Don't play with that. That's not the image. Here's the image. Here's everything, all of this. Here's life. And then here's a choice. And here's your choice. Listen, listen to me carefully. Here's your choice. Walk with me and learn wisdom and knowledge of good and evil through my eyes, slowly walking with me, or grab it now. Go get it now. If you do that, you'll die. If you hurry, you'll die. If you try to get it fast, you'll die. Because you won't know what to do with it. Because my word is truth. My way is the right way. And it's slower than your way. But I'm slow to anger, quick to love. We see even at the beginning, God. But there is a serpent, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field the Lord God had made, He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. She added that because religion does that. Lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You're going to get the thing really quickly, faster. You will be like God. They're already going to be like God. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was light to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, here's the key, she took it. And it's fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And I love verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, I highlight it for you, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Not sprinting, not in a hurry. Even knowing what just happened in his creation, he's walking. When I was in Bible school, I had this guy, his name was Israel, he's from India. I've talked about him a lot. And in my frenetic pace, 20 years old, trying to think about ministry and life and popularity within this school and all of these things that were just consuming my life, this guy named Israel from India transported literally I mean into our school and he would walk around the campus just smiling and in the presence of God and there's something about him I was like "I I need that I need that type of relationship with God that is just comfortable and able to be and able to walk and not be so consumed with hurry and craziness and I said Teach me, help me, grow me. And his pace was simply the pace of his master, Jesus. The person he served. You, You see Jesus in the temple at 12 years old. Even at 12 years old, he's going to the temple and his parents lost him. And if you look at verse 49, it says this, Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Look at verse 51. And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them even at 12 years old jesus is this prodigy he's in the temple they're going wow who is this person it it would be like for us that you know somebody extremely smart or intelligent or or some kind of prodigy in music and we see them grow up and at 12 years old we're ready to take them to carnegie hall and and make it happen this was where Jesus' intellect was in the temple going back and forth people and yet he said Okay, I guess my time's not yet. And he's humbled and he submitted himself to his parents and walked the next 18 years. We don't know anything that happened to him until he comes out of ministry in God's time, at God's pace. Because love walks, God walks. God's not in a hurry. And as I look at God and I look at Jesus, my brain flips. In fact, Jesus is doing miracles, healing people, casting out demons. I mean, his ministry is growing and instead of writing a book, it's starting a 501c3, verse 15. It says this, Luke 5, however, the report went around concerning Jesus all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. In verse 16, so he himself, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. No, Jesus, you've got to do more. You've got more books to write. you got more songs to sing. you got more people to heal. And he says, I'm going at the pace of my father because my goal is not to hurry up my success, but to only do what God is calling me to do because I'm a human being, not a human doing. I love Dallas Willard. He's quoted saying this. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart after a while. Jesus had to withdraw. And I look at God and I look at how he is and I look at Jesus and I look at the scripture and I don't know about you but it convicts me of my hurry sickness and it it makes me sober to go. What am I doing with my life? Am I like scar positioning myself and pushing to get to that next thing? Or am I trusting God, even if it's the slower route, because my goal is to be with him and do what he wants me to do, not just frenetically be busy, be in a hurry. So what's the remedy? Number one, I think you have to plan time to plan time for some specific things. You need to look at your life and you need to go, is this true? This is what the Bible calls repenting, changing the way you think and act. Gosh, I'm hurry sick. What do I do? Slow down. How do I do that? I got to plan actually a time to plan my time out. It's like budgeting your time. Where am I going to do these things? Number one, Sabbath. This is a real thing, not as a law, but as a good rule of life of just stop. Let God just be. Turn off all the devices, all the distractions, and just be. When am I going to find a time to do that? When am I going to find a time be for solitude, just to be alone? And I know some of you moms of little kids are like, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. Little fingers come up under the doors. I know, been there. But you got to say, honey, I need some time. And it's not me time, it's be time. Be with God. Be with God present, not distracted, but just present and find some solitude. We want to walk in the way of Jesus and do what Jesus has done. I think the last thing, and we're bad at this, silence. Maybe some of you this week as you're driving to schools, you're driving to work, as you're driving, wherever you're going, instead of turning up the jams and doing the thing, podcasts, why don't you just turn everything down for a little Just let God talk to you. Your spiritual life consists of giving and receiving love, and you can't give what you don't have. And if you don't take the time to bask in the love of God through what Jesus has done, you're just going to be hurried, hurried, and trick yourself into thinking you've got to earn his love instead of basking in his presence and realizing he's earned it for me. I love what one theologian says, that God shouts at his enemies and he whispers to his friends. But you gotta be still enough to hear the whisper. My sheep hear my voice. He would say, and I don't know about you, but I see the frenetic pace that I feel in my life, the frenetic place that I see in our culture the church is not a subculture. We're just kind of a lower culture. We are a counterculture. We have a different way and a different path demonstrated through Jesus and through the scripture of how to live and be mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy with a God that walks at the speed of love. You stand to your feet. And i want to ask you in here as we ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna sing this song again as a worship, as a prayer, as an anthem. Lord, make me whatever you want me to be. Like it's your pace. I'm not gonna pull the scar and make it happen. I'm gonna trust you and your timing because I want you, not just your stuff. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, please everybody in here, head bowed, eyes closed. Am I talking to anybody in here today? If you're here and you're saying, man, that's me, I've got hurry sickness, raise your hand. Come on. All around the room, at least half the room. The Bible uses the word repent. Change the way you think and act. As we read earlier, the only thing we can do, what is God like? Okay, how can I be with God? and live his way. And some of you are going, I feel like you're asking me to be a monk. <laughs> That's the equivalent in our culture. I gotta go, I got, I got things to do. And let me tell you, you're sabotaging your spiritual life as long as you're just going and going and going and going and going and not stopping. God wants you in it for the long haul and he wants to spend time with you and know you. So if you're here with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna pray for you, God those that say, hey, that's me, I've got worries in this, I'm trying to go, I'm going, I'm frenetic I'm 10 out of 10 Lord, I pray right now your spirit, even in this moment, God will fill this place Lord, we know you are not just natural you are a supernatural God I pray for healing and I pray for conviction in our hearts to be the people you've called us to be Say, make me whatever you want me to be. Jesus' name.